Man, that's awesome right there. I know after that, I, this better not be a crappy sermon. That's all I got to say. <laughs> We're very blessed to have the, the stable of musicians that we do and the talent they bring. It's very good. Uh, Megan, you're, you're hired, by the way. I just wanted to let you know that you're hired. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life Sarasota. We're going this series that show pictures of Jesus in Genesis. And this week we're talking about the Tower of Babel. I've titled the sermon, Watch Your Language. Now, um, I felt a lot of conviction as I was writing this sermon and came up with that title. And so what I decided is to take out any references to any type of profanity so that there's no feelings of guilt for anyone in the room. Okay, does that sound right to you guys? The ones that answer the question are honest. The ones that did not, you lying people. You lying people. All right, um, Genesis, um, Genesis 11, 1 through 9. I'm just going to read this to you. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come... Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and butamen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a great city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And by the way, that's not a good thing. So come, let us go down and scatter them from where they are to all the rest of the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. So what we like to do at Grace Life is whenever we look at a passage, there are three applications that we look at each week. The first is the historical. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we look at the theology. What about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And then we look at the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? So let's talk about the historical part of this passage. There is an arrogant unity. In verses 1 through 4, it talks about that. So just give you guys some heads up here, okay? People were having mad babies, yo. Now, that doesn't mean they were angry babies, although by the time they get to, but they were just having, mad is like modern for lots. They're having lots of babies. The earth is getting full. And evil men began to make plans in verses 2 and 3. And the plan was this. We're going to come together. We're going to create a monument for ourselves. We're going to create a unity here. And we're all going to, we're going to come together as a world and we are going to live as one. Because we are seeking immortality. We want to make a name for ourselves that will last forever. When people are talking thousands of years from now, they'll know that we built this city they live in. We are the ones that constructed this. We are the ones that brought the world together. We are going to make history. And these are evil men seeking unity. See, here's the problem. There is this allure of unity that has been put out there that everything about unity is good. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but it's not always good. Hope that didn't offend you guys with that, but you'll get to what I'm getting to in just a minute. These are evil men seeking to bring their evil together under one name, under one culture, 
under one society. So that's the historical part of the story of the Tower of Babel. Now let's look at the devotional part. I want to talk about how God uses languages. I'm going to give you two stories. One is how we dealt with the Tower of Babel, and another is how we dealt with the church in Acts chapter 2. First of all, I want to look at the curse of tongues. What happens basically is God sees the danger of these people coming together, and God is smart enough to know, listen, if these people who are brilliant people, who are living a long time, and building this city all come together, they don't realize it. They think their unity is going to be great, but we know what's going to happen. They have one language. They have evil, arrogant plans. They want to make a name for themselves. It says right there in the passage. And the problem is they will destroy themselves, and they don't even know it. Because what's going to happen is it's going to become just like before the flood. And I made a promise to Noah, and we talked about this last week. Remember, we talked about the rainbow. I made a promise that I would never flood the earth again and destroy all mankind. So I'm going to give them some grace by scattering them. So he goes to protect this line of Noah. And what was really taking place here is after Noah came off the ark and, and you know, the line of Jesus continued to go forward, Earth is getting populated again, and every time, I think I told you guys this last week, every time you read a story in the Old Testament, ask the question, this is important, this will really help you understand the Old Testament, what is the enemy trying to do to keep Jesus from being born? That's really what every story in the Old Testament is about. So God gives this linguistic intervention in verse 7 through 9, and he gives them all different languages, and the result is an interruption of the knowledge base growing and a slowing down, if you will, of the depravity of man. Because what's happening here is man is depraved, man is able to do anything evil he wants, and they're coming together, and they're working together. Let's make a name for ourselves so the motivation is arrogance. And what God does through the Tower of Babel is he slows down the progress and the process of man's total depravity, therefore saving them from destruction and his creation. So now let's talk about another historical application. Let's talk about the gift of tongues. I'm going to tell you a story in Acts chapter 2. So what happens after Jesus is, leaves, the Holy Spirit comes, and these disciples, these men of God, are given the ability to speak languages they never had learned. Not languages that nobody had ever heard of, but languages that other people in the world spoke. And the scripture says they go to the southern steps of the temple during this time when people from all over the world are coming to the temple to worship Jehovah, Jews from Asia, Jews from uh, the south, from the north, the east, and the west. They're all coming together at this time from all over the world where they had been scattered to in the Tower of Babel. They're all coming from all over the world. And Peter and the disciples are on the southern steps of the temple preaching the gospel saying, hey, listen. There is a new high priest. There is a new savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He died. He resurrected. He's now with us. And they're preaching this. And these people coming from all over the world hear them preaching in their native languages. And they're saying, what is going on? These guys are Hebrews and they're speaking Chinese to me. They're speaking Egyptian to me. They're, they're speaking my... There's no way that they should be able to speak my language and God gives them the ability to preach this gospel message in a language they did not know. And let me read what Acts chapter 2, 37 to 39 says. Well, let me read uh, starting with uh, verse 11. 
Both Jews and converts to Judaism heard this from all over, from parts of Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, and Rome, and Cretans, and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It's an exact reversal of the Tower of Babel. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do you want to do? What should we do with this message? And Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are afar off. In other words, those who aren't here with you but are still in your native land. And for all the Lord will choose to call. And as the Tower of Babel was designed to separate men who wanted to unite for the wrong reasons, right? The gift of tongues was designed to reverse the Tower of Babel and bring people together for the right reason. Not to make a name for themselves, but to make a name for Jesus. In fact, those tongues that were being spoken in Acts 2 are a direct example of the good works I've talked to you about in Ephesians 2.9. For he created us for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should trip over. This was an example of that. Now, here's the problem. There is a misguided thinking which chooses to venerate and crave the miracles of Pentecost, the speaking in tongues. And many churches teach that this ability to speak in tongues is some sort of spiritual nirvana experience. Right? Like, if you get to a certain level of enjoying the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have this. And what develops is an unhealthy obsession with it. It's like you can achieve some sort of magical feeling with God. And although that can happen, it has given birth to this on fire for Jesus line, which I love so much. Just kidding, I don't. That having this experience somehow indicates that you are somehow closer to God and more in tune with the Holy Spirit than others. It's like some sort of meritocracy in your walk with Jesus and your connection to the Holy Spirit. That's actually the opposite message of what the tongues in Acts chapter 2 were for. The tongues in Acts chapter 2 weren't to differentiate and delineate certain people as having a special connection. It was designed to bring people together. With the name of Jesus Christ as the center, the gospel, bring together people in love, in redemption, and unity through the power of the gospel message. So let me ask you, if someone speaks in tongues that nobody understands, does that sound a little more like the Tower of Babel or Acts chapter 2? I'm just asking you a real question. Like, If somebody's speaking in tongues and nobody understands it, does it sound more like Babel or the southern steps of the temple? This is the important concept that I want you to get. I'm not going to come out and say that tongues are no more. I believe there's a biblical perspective on the gift of tongues. And it is for this, for people who don't know the gospel to hear it in their language. That's the theological part of this passage. You have two linguistic interventions between God with the Tower of Babel and God with his early church. Twice. And it's like a completed circle. Okay, let's talk about the devotional. You know, there are things that I could say about unity. 
It's a stirring, you know, the best way, you know what, let's just listen to John Lennon. Can you cue that kid for me? tell you, man, that just inspires me. I love the fact that man is finally learning to get along. That peace for all mankind is spreading like bamboo in Sarasota. We are so close, family. We can do it. We're almost there. I mean, for the love of Pete, if you want to know how close you are, just take a look at your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed. See right there, I've got 10 notifications about my Unity post from this morning already. Can you click on that and let's see what the people are saying? Uh-oh. Yeah, that's, that's not good, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, the world's just dripping with Unity, isn't it? Just kidding. It will never happen. We all know it, but yet mankind has this natural, uncontrollable, alluring desire to get it. We want unity so badly as a race. The problem is we all have different opinions of what unity should look like and what should unify us. Some of us think it's a political ideology. If we could all just be liberals, if we could all just be conservatives, America would be great. Well, even if they aren't conservatives, if we could just get our people in power, it'll be great. Well, maybe they aren't all liberals, but if we could just see how good liberals are, they could show them and they would become liberals and we'll be unified. Maybe it's an economic system. It could just be that we could get everyone to embrace socialism or fascism or communism where it's all equal or capitalism. If we can just get everyone to embrace one worldwide economic system, we'll be unified. Or if we could just get everyone to be more multicultural. If you're not going to be multicultural, just be aware of all the cultures and learn about them and appreciate those things that you don't understand. I got an idea. Why don't we create something like the United Nations? That will really be unifying. All the nations in the world coming together in a great building in Manhattan. If that ain't the Tower of Babel, I don't know what it is. They got all those things in their ears so they can hear what they're saying and understand it in their language. Or what if we could just accomplish unity through denominational purity? I don't agree with what they teach at Grace Life, so I'm going to spin off and call it Southern Grace Life. <laughs> we'll have different theology, and one day we're going to infiltrate Grace Life with the right theology, and then we'll all be together unified under one doctrinal purity. Okay, what about sports? If we get everyone just to understand Tom Brady is the greatest... I hate the guy. Don't try to bring that to me. Good. No picture of Tom Brady this week. Thank you. Every week he throws it up there. That's not an invitation. 
Guys, sometimes we yearn for unity so much that we give up and live life alone. I mean, almost everything we do is looking for unity. We look for it in our cliques. We look for it in our group of friends. We look for it in our church. We look for it in our city. We look for it in our country. And we're shocked when it doesn't happen. See, these are all man-made efforts to bring humanity together. And they are just like the Tower of Babel. Because anything that man creates to build unity will fail. Even as kids, we would do this. Do you ever remember being unified on the playground to pick on one specific kid? Do you remember what it felt like to be that kid? See, man always wants to force his version of unity on everyone else. Sometimes we do it through war. All right, they don't want to give in. We'll just conquer them. They just knew that the Roman government is the really best way to live. Sometimes we do it through shunning them with shame. Well, if you don't get along with what we say, then you are a fill-in-the-blank. We do it through coercion. Come along, and we'll give you this. If you don't come along, you're going to get this. And you know what the church does? Here's how the church messes up unity. We do it through manufactured hypocritical righteousness. Well, if you really love Jesus, your life will look exactly like this. You'll act like this. You'll vote like this. You'll listen to this type of music. You'll dress like this. You'll go to this church. You'll have this type of theology. But in reality, only the power of the cross and the gospel unfiltered and unadulterated by man's opinions will bring about unity. Because through the gospel, just the gospel, not your opinions of the gospel, but just the gospel can overcome all barriers, racial, ethnic, political, social economic, cultural. The gospel can bring healing between people in all those circles. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's unity. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I don't know if you know this or not, but Grace Life has very diverse opinions and life experience within this room. Yet the gospel has unified us under one vision, mobile, organic, biblical, and surprisingly generous. That's our core values. In fact, only the gospel could bring this motley group of people together. I mean, look around you guys. Exactly. Why is everybody looking at Eric? That's not fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> cash me out, bro. All right, cash me out. <laughs> um, I mean, think about it. The gospel is the only reason I could ever be friends with Nehemiah. I mean, for real. You marine people, I don't. 
Chuck Madden, we would never be friends without the gospel. I definitely would not be friends with Carl the drummer if it weren't for the gospel. <laughs> Guys, here's the fact. Some of you right now are yearning to belong. And it's okay. It's natural. You are learning to experience the elusive blessing of unity in your life. And you were looking all different places. The problem is you keep looking in all the wrong places. And some of them seem like really shiny places. But some of you are feeling the tug of that same Holy Spirit that worked at the Tower of Babel, that worked on the southern steps of the temple in Acts chapter 2. Some of you are feeling the tug of that same Holy Spirit that worked in Peter and the apostles. And that tug is telling you this, and you're afraid to believe it. And I understand why you're afraid. But here's what it's telling you. No matter your background, no matter your politics, no matter your bank account, no matter your culture, no matter your past history of personal failures, the gospel is calling you to be a part of a unified family of God, not making a name for ourselves, but making a name for Jesus Christ on the cross. Guys, that's what the grace life is all about. We talk about the grace life every week. You know it's not a name of a church. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. It's a culture that says we are unified through the grace and mercy we receive in Jesus Christ on the cross. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 7 says, unless you are a screaming liberal or a radical right-wing Republican, then forget it. <laughs> no, I'm just Just joking. That's from the King Joe version. I put that in there. It's not real. The first part is real. The second part is not. Don't go away saying, do you see that verse? That was awesome. I'm posting that on Facebook. That's going to get some unity going. Likes, ding, ding, ding. Guys, the gospel does not call. I got to get that off before somebody gets upset, okay? The gospel does not call us. <laughs> Very good. But the gospel does not call us to be some monolithic people trying to create fake unity. Do you get that? Because fake unity is skin deep. And just about anything will destroy it. And nothing is more discouraging and depressing when there's unity that you thought was real that you find out was not. See, that's what man-made efforts try their best to do. But the gospel brings unity with God and his church through Jesus, allowing us to remain different and unique, yet unified. And I love a quote from this guy named Rodney Allen Woods. He's really good. Unity, despite diversity, is exactly what defines Christianity. And by the way, I mean true Christianity, the gospel unfiltered, as distinct from all and antithetical to all other religious belief systems. See, this is the part that I want to leave you with today. You do have this insatiable desire for unity that is within you. You want it so bad. You've got to stop looking in the wrong places. 
Heck, don't even look at grace life for it. Look to the gospel. The same message that was preached on the southern steps in Acts chapter 2. Dad, bring us unity through the gospel. Give people ears to hear and hearts to understand and minds to comprehend and grasp that we can have unity but only through the unfiltered, unadulterated gospel of Jesus. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.